foster care, and on parallel journey. Strength for the powerless, courage for the fearful, hope and healing for wounded hearts. If you'd like to share your story or find our socials, including Patreon, go to fostercarenation.com. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Today we're coming to you with a story that I don't even know very well yet, but I've known Eric for a while. Eric has been in a group of dads that I'm online with for a whole couple of years now, at least I know. I, I've been with them for I, close to five years and, and some of these guys kind of come and go and you, you hear parts of their story, you get intimately involved in parts of their life, but I've known Eric for a couple of years and just recently found out that he had a story to tell about foster care. And I said, um, you want to tell me that story on the podcast? And he said, sure. So Eric, welcome. Hey, thanks, Jason. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Um, it's, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm excited to share my story. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody we, we know who has a foster care story is a unique story by far. I mean, I, I get into some of these Facebook groups and read sto- some of the stories that people tell and everything from an amazing experience where they came out of something horrible and terrible in their biological family and ended up in a great experience growing up through that. Everything to the exact opposite, where they were pulled out of a home that seemed relatively safe and loving to them and then went through this horrible abuse of experience. So what was your foster care experience like? Yeah, I would say, you know, in general, my foster care journey was, was quite positive, uh, even though at the time it didn't seem that way. Um, so I am from a, a home where my, my dad had left when I was fairly young. I was about six years old. Um, him, and my, him and my mother got separated. And I had uh, three other siblings in that home. So we were all living with my mother. And my dad wasn't really in the picture other than maybe a weekly phone. Um, and it was really challenging for my mother. Uh, she was raising us on welfare. And I was the second oldest. I had an older sister. And I would say that I was, I think I was quite challenging as a young boy, um, especially not having a father figure, you know, to, to really kind of help me out, especially with, you know, discipline and guidance and, and creating that order. So, uh, you know, I would say probably about after three or four years of, you know, a fairly dysfunctional household with my mom trying to raise four kids uh, and me getting older and bigger and stronger and more rambunctious and more aggressive, etc. Um, it's my dad finally had, you know, was kind of at his wit's end and he had ended up calling the authorities Um you know, this was after a couple of years of not really knowing how to handle the situation. Um, so at that point, I was 10 or 11 years old. Uh, the authorities took me away and brought me here in Canada. What, what you know, our social services is uh, the Children's Aid Society. Um, I don't know if you guys know that in the States, but essentially it's our kind of social services. So I was, I was put into a, um, what we call a, a, a holding foster, foster home. Um, for a short period of time while they kind of figured out what to do with me uh, over the long term. So at that point, it was, it was fairly clear that my mother could no longer really, you know, deal with me, discipline me um, while continuing to raise my brothers and sisters. Uh, my dad wasn't really able to, to come back in the picture at the time. So I was placed in a home um, with two foster parents. Um, they, had, they had two children and then there was also two other foster children in that home. Um, they, it, it was a, it was a very healthy family environment. Um, it's something that I had never experienced before. Uh, I think when my dad had left, there was kind of a part of me missing, if you will. Um, that I, I don't know that I ever, that I ever got back to be honest. Um, but during my time in foster care, um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of discipline that I think was very healthy for me. Um, I was there for three, three and a half years. And I think that is where I learned about boundaries the most. Um, I never really had boundaries in my life beforehand, but my foster family, uh, they were, the parents were able to create boundaries for me that were fairly strict, um, which again, in the moment is not always fun. 
um, especially as a young boy. Um, but I think now as an adult, I, I understand the importance of it. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful for, you know, the resilience that they had with me as a young boy. Um, so yeah, it, you know, I would say all in all, I, I had quite a positive fostering journey um, that really taught me a lot about becoming a young man. Um, you know, like I said, I spent, I spent my time from about 10 and a half to 14 in that home which was really this big transition of age around that time. And they were this massive, you know, influence and they had this big impact on my life, which was kind of great. That's really awesome. Um, how did that feel though, you going into foster care and your siblings staying at home? I would say it was very isolating. Um, you know, at the time when I was, when I was that age, I think, I think it had confirmed a lot of things that a lot of thoughts that I had about myself as a young boy, uh, which was, you know, I, I am the bad apple. You know, I, I am a bad kid. Um, I don't belong here. I'm, you know, screwing up my family. Um, I think, you know, at, as this was all happening, I think there was a lot of that kind of, there was a lot of affirmations around that, that I was experiencing. And I think that's something that I'm still dealing with today. But I think at the moment, that is really how I felt. I, you know, I say, I say this a lot, but I was in this, I was in this loving home. You know, I had my family, my mom was trying to be really involved. I had a lot of friends in school and I, at, at that age, I had never felt so alone. Um, and it was, it was scary. You know, it was scary for an 11 year old boy to be put in a situation and not really know what was next. You know, I had a lot of fear. I, I didn't know what was going to happen for the rest of my life. And I think, I think it felt like the safety net had disappeared. I think in the moment that that's kind of the feeling that I had that I had lost my family. Wow. <laughs> That's an important age to have your family too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think, like I said, I, I think it affected me, you know, it still affects me in a lot of decisions that I make today is, you know, I'm, I'm 35 years old now and I still take a lot of those lessons in. Um, you know, I became, because I felt so alone, you know, I became fiercely independent. Um, you know, there was days when I would leave my foster home and I wouldn't come back till my father, my, my foster father had to come and find me somewhere because I was just like, I'm just going to do it on my own here. You know, I would go and bike to the beach and, and I, you know, kind of like just hang out outside of the home because I was kind of training to, to, to become fiercely independent because in the time it felt like a way to protect myself. It felt like I needed these skills to survive. Um, and I, at that, at that age, I didn't realize what, what my foster family was doing for me. Uh, you know, now as an adult, I see it, especially being a father myself, <laughs> you know, um, I, I see the challenges that I created. And again, like the resilience, the love that they had for me, um, how hard it must've been to create this environment where, <laughs> you know, there was this loving discipline where I was felt like part of the family, even though I was the one that was always kind of keeping them at arm's length because I didn't want to feel abandoned again. This feeling that I had experienced with my family, I never wanted to feel that again. And so I thought that as a way to, to shield myself from that pain again, it was to become independent. It was to need no one. I wanted to get to a point where I didn't need anyone. You know, and uh, that 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 served me for a long time. You know, looking back, it's you know I don't know that it's healthy to live that way. I see that now. I'm working. It's very hard for me to, to do things like ask for help. And um, but I realized that that independence served me for a while. It was it was a survival mechanism, if you will. Um, and I don't know that it serves me anymore. Um, but I, I can see what that little boy was doing at the time. 
what I was doing. You know, I've noticed that a lot of the things in our life are the belief systems that we build as kids that we take into adulthood. How has that really manifested in, in your life now? And, and I guess, because it sounds like you, you've come to a decent realization about that. How, how did you realize that and, and, and start to walk out of that into a, into a space where you can make more healthy decisions? Um, you know, I guess, I guess now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here at this point in, in my life journey where I've started to go inwards to, to really look for a lot of, of the solutions. You know, I, I feel like I realize now that the journey is inward and not outward. I, for years, you know, I spent time, I spent a lot of time coping. You know, when my kids were young, there was, there was obviously a lot of, you know, in my life, a lot of dependency through alcohol. Uh, you know, I've, I've been sober now for, you know, almost two years, and, and that was a big part of my journey and healing. Congratulations to you. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, yeah, it feels good. Um, you know, so I, I think it's been a bit of a, a slow process, if you will, but I guess if I was to explain it kind of kind of in a sentence, it's just that I, I was no longer willing to, to live this way. I was no longer willing to continue to, to push people away before they would hurt me, you know, because it, it was, it was to the point where it was even happening in my marriage, you know, where I had, I had such this, I had this belief within me that I was unlovable. You know, I still had that belief of that 11 year old boy that I was bad. I could not be loved. And you know, I, I, it's been, I've been with my wife about 16 years now and she stuck through it. She pushed, you know, and, and I remember times where she would just tell me, I don't know how to love you, you know, because I don't, I don't know that I was letting her in because I had so much fear that she would leave me, that she would confirm the feeling that I still had within me, which was, I am unlovable. I am bad. I will never be able to receive someone's love because I'm not worthy of it. What an insightful wife to be able to say it in that way. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think we look back and, you know, I, I'm ever grateful for the fact that she stuck around through through all the stuff I <laughs> I had a part in putting her through. Um, our marriage now is, is better than ever. Um, I think I think in part because we had made it through that. You know, I feel like now the challenges we're facing on a day-to-day -day basis, or at least the ones that we're currently experiencing, are nothing compared to what we have been through. And I think at the same time, we might face challenges that we can't even imagine. But just knowing that together we can make it through it and that, you know, for me, it's really affirming that she's stuck around and she continues to make, make me realize and help me realize that I am lovable, that I am worth something. But I think in short, you know, Jason, to answer your question, it was, I was no longer willing to, to live with the story or the belief that I, that I was living with. I was no longer willing to believe that story. It wasn't serving me. It was to the point where it was causing me pain and I was starting to be aware of it. You know, I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, I, I didn't really allow myself to open up to people. I would often be the life of the party and you know I was I was you know running different teams in my career and things like that and there was a lot of I think admiration I was constantly hearing a lot of admiration but inside there was this deep emptiness this deep loneliness and I knew that it that it was something within me that I had to deal with that I could no longer look for an external solution to what was inside me so I think that is was kind of like that was the catalyst for this journey of self-discovery and personal growth for me. Wow. I know a lot of people get to that point of, I don't want to live this way anymore, but it's not many people who seem to find the, the way to, to walk through that in a healthy way. So where did you find like the wherewithal to, to find a positive way to, to cope with all this and build on it rather than 
than staying in those negative coping mechanisms? Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. You know, even as you're asking that question, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting and I think, you know, we, we always say that like kids are, are the best teacher, right? Like, so I have, I have two young children. My son, uh, he turned five uh, last December and my daughter's three. And I think about, you know, just about the time when I kind of quit, quit drinking and really kind of started to get my life together. My, my son was, you know, just about to turn four, which I think in my life was the time when, when I had kind of started to lose my father, when my father had kind of left. And I don't know if maybe unconsciously this was happening or maybe I was even consciously, but I think about it now and I, I think that something is there. The fact that I see my son and I often see myself as a young boy in him. Um, and I, I say this a lot, but like, I want to break the cycle. You know, I don't want my son to experience the type of pain that I went through. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not so oblivious that I, that I understand my son will experience pain, right? He will have his own form of issue and trauma, etc. But if I can do something so that he doesn't experience the childhood that I had, I think that's something worth living for. And I think maybe that is why I had decided one day to just do something about it because it, it was bigger than me. It was no longer about me. You know, at the time when this all happened, my wife and I were talking about divorce. You know, that was, that was a legitimate thing. We were, you know, I was looking for places to live outside of the home. And these were some real conversations that we were happening and we were having. And I think one day I just decided I can't do this. Like no one will ever break this. And it's, it's possible that Francis, my son, he will do the, he will go through the same life that I went through. And I have to stop this for him. So I think when it became bigger than myself, and even now, it is bigger than me, right? It is bigger than, than only healing myself. It's I am healing myself to serve others. And I hope that, I hope that I can share my journey and, and kind of share what I went through, even to just shed a little bit of light for someone else, you know, not only my kids, but Hey, maybe people I talk to at the park, maybe anyone, you know what I mean? Because I hope that nobody experiences what I experience, even though, like I said, I know people are, but it's like, what difference can I make while I'm here, you know, on this planet? And I think that is what keeps me going. I think that is why I don't turn back to drinking. That is why I try to become a better father, a better friend, a, a better son, a better brother. Um, because I understand now that I, I have the opportunity to affect others. You know what I mean? Where I never thought that before. I thought it benefited others if I hide, if I stayed out of the way, if I didn't cause them problems, if I stayed quiet and didn't cause pain. And what I realized is I was hiding a fire or potential in myself to shape the world in a more positive image. Um, you know, doesn't happen every day. <laughs> Sometimes I'm still that guy yelling and, <laughs> and you know, that's just part of life. But, um, but I guess, you know, I would say that that is my North star now. It's to take, take what is within me and offer some value to others. So yeah, it's bigger than me, I would say. That's quite a lesson to take out of, uh, out of your experience in foster care. Yeah, I absolutely agree, Jason. I think, and I firmly believe that we, you know, we all have these gifts, you know, call it the universe, faith, whatever you want to call it. But we were, we were put here for a reason. And I don't, I don't know that the reason, I mean, life, life is suffering, right? That's kind of the, the old Buddhist saying, but we have an opportunity to make a difference. And, you know, I even say it to my kids, but like, you know, my kids are very, very social. So when we walk, they're constantly saying hi to everybody they walk by. And because I really want to instill in them that, even when you're walking by somebody, just by looking at them and saying hello and smiling, you could create a massive difference, right? We don't, we don't know what is going on in that person's life. But just walking by somebody, saying hi, smiling, have a good day, 
this can impact the person. But we often think that we have to have these massive impacts in order to make a difference. But it's a ripple effect, right? It's like when you throw a small stone in the water, you, the ripple effect just spreads. And I think it's really important to see the actions that we have, you know, in that way. We have the, we have the opportunity to impact others in a positive way with just such simple actions. And I think when we really can kind of harness that energy, we understand that we have this abundant opportunity to just make a difference in the planet. You know? I don't know. During this whole time, I thought it was just because all Canadians were nice. <laughs> Maybe it is the country I live in. I don't know. Like, we're, no, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I just feel like, I don't know. Maybe it sounds a little woo, but I just firmly believe it, you know? And trust me, I was on the other side of the spectrum. None of this mattered. I remember days when I, it was probably a couple years where I was just constantly angry. You know what I mean? And, and I feel like I had to let that go in order to really understand that I can impact people in a positive way. Now, were you ever in any other homes or was it one home the whole time? So I had been in, in a couple different homes that, that, you know, we call holding homes. So I guess the longest period I spent was two months. Um, but I had, even when I was living at home, um, I was, I was going to different homes during the weekend. Really? Um, yeah, that's right. So there that's was a lot strange. of, yeah. And maybe it was just the, the children's aid society that they had, but a lot of it, I think really came down to trying to have a male influence in my life. So I, I firmly remember, I, I remember when I was in these homes on weekends, the father was always there. You know, we were always, he was always present when I was around. We were always going out hiking or, you know, cutting wood, expending energy. Uh, it was very important that I had dinner with this family. So I think it was really, you know, my mom speaks about it now, but I think she just didn't know what to do anymore with me, you know? And so she was willing to try anything. Yeah, that's not something that they do here in the States that I'm aware of. So it sounds like it's a, a wonderful idea. Yeah. You know, have, have you and your, your father reconciled one and, you know, have you figured out how to heal that father wound in your own life? Foster Care Nation, we are here to talk about support for a quick moment. We need your support. Just the same way everybody needs a good support system and we are looking to you guys to help us out. The best way you could possibly support us, besides a winning lottery ticket, I mean, I take those, um is to reach out to a friend, a family member, a coworker, anybody, somebody you know who's talked about joining the foster care system, somebody who's been in it, whatever it is, share this episode with them if you would, please. Share the show, send them a link, put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, share a copy somewhere, just put it out there so that people can find it. That would be the best thing you could do for us. We would love it. Now, if you have a couple extra dollars to spend, if you could put a dollar or two, into the Patreon account, that'd be awesome. We won't get mad if you don't, I promise. But if you want to join everybody over there at Patreon, it is patreon.com slash fostercarenation, and that's where you'll find us. Those small donations really add up, and we appreciate it. And I promise, guys, the only place we're going to spend that money is on a Caribbean vacation and the childcare to leave them all somewhere so my wife and I can have five minutes apiece. Now, don't tell her I told you that because she's going to expect me to actually do it at that point. And I don't think that's going to happen. But it sounds awesome, doesn't it? We, we can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. Don't forget, we put up an episode every week, so look out for it. Reach out, hit the subscribe button as well. That way you're notified when we put out new content. Now, back to Eric because he's got a lot more knowledge to drop on us all. You know, have, have you and your, your father reconciled one? And, you know, have you figured out how to heal that father wound in your own life? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, so I would say my father and I have have reconciled. Um, I think I, I think I let go long ago of the expectation that I would ever have the father you know, the, the, that I imagined people had growing up, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? The relationship yeah. that I have with my dad is is very friendly. 
Um, you know, we talk about sports and philosophy and things like that. Um, he, he doesn't often give me advice. Um, and I don't often call him for help. Um, but I do think that we are in each other's lives. You know, he, he spends time with my kids and he's their grandfather and he's, you know, my wife knows him well. But I think I, I think I had to let go. You know, I think it came probably when I, when I forgave him. You know, I spent time forgiving him for a couple of years and I think I had to let go that I would ever have that relationship that I wanted when I was a boy. You know, I think wanting him to be someone that he wasn't would do nothing but cause us pain. Like it, it wouldn't serve us. I think when I started to see my dad as a man as well, I, I started to understand the amount of shame that he was experiencing. Um, you know, leaving four kids behind, who he was as a father. Um, even now, you know, how he's showing up in our lives when we visit. I think he still holds a lot of blame um, and he has his own wounds. And I don't know that I would have been able to see that if I didn't see him, you know, as a man instead of just as my father. You know, we have a mutual friend, Joe Bailey, and Joe has talked a lot about the father wound. And, uh, you know, he and I have had some pretty deep conversations about that over the years. And one of the things that, that he talks a lot about was getting to that point of, of learning to see your, your father as a man. Not, I mean, most little boys see dad as a hero. And that's, and then the hero fails. And that's where a lot of those wounds come from. And, and whether that's a major failing, like, like what happened to you at a young age, or even a smaller failing, there are those things that become a father wound down the road. And so we all have some small piece of it somewhere, but some people have it more deeply than others. And it sounds like for you really just being able to identify that, hey, this is a man with his own struggles was a big piece of learning to forgive that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Jason, I think I'm, I think I'm still in the process of healing that wound. Um, you know, I, I spoke about this recently with, with a, with a mutual friend of ours, actually, uh, Dan Zaner. Um, and I talked about how I never really grieved the loss of my father, you know, and, and, and somebody said this to me one time and it really hit me, but the hardest thing to do is to grieve somebody who's still alive. And, and it really spoke to me. And I don't know that I don't, you know, it, it, it's funny. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little bit emotional here. I'm kind of, so I, I, funny enough, I visited my father yesterday. Uh, my wife and I went to visit him and when we left, my wife always checks in. She's very supportive. How was that? How did you feel? You know, things like that. And I realized that I still have attachments to where I want our relationship to go. And, you know, maybe the, maybe the wrong way to say, you know, I haven't, I haven't given up on him yet. And I don't know if that's healthy or not. I think, you know, I think I still want him to, to fill some of, some of the, the pain that I have, to, to heal some of that with me. And, and I think, I think it would benefit me to let that go. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, and I think that's right now I am, you know, it's funny you ask this question. It's so timely because I'm, I'm in the middle of this journey um, and I'm experiencing it. And, and yesterday coming home, there was a lot of sadness, you know, and my wife is very empathetic. She can feel it. Right. And she's super compassionate and, and she can see it. There's, there's still pain there. I still long for, for a relationship with him that is deeper than what I have. Um, and I don't know that he's ready to have that relationship with me because I, you know, it's possible that I am a reminder to him of a time when he maybe didn't like who he was as much. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a very deep question. I think, I think we can talk about this for a, for a very long time. This is very close to my heart right now. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I, that I have healed that wound completely. 
Well, it's good to hear that you're at least aware of it and working in that direction because a lot of guys who have that wound are not. But that father wound, I think, can really easily become a generational problem for a lot of dads. How have you been intentional in not creating that with your own children? Ooh, great question. Um, I think presence is extremely important and not just being in their vicinity, but really being available to them, um, I think is something that I strive to do every day. Um, you know, I, I think I actively try to be present with them. Um, when something's happening, I'm happy to stop, talk to them, get to their level and really listen. Um, I think, I think influence is another big one. You know, I, I think about myself often as, as this lighthouse, you know, I want to just shine as bright as I can. And I want my kids to look at me and say, you know, this is a, this is a healthy man. This is a healthy husband, father. And I want, I hope that I can be their barometer for where they should go in life. So I, I am constantly trying to have awareness around how I'm showing up as a husband. How am, I, how am I speaking to their mother? How am I speaking to them? How do I talk to strangers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I hope that I can be, you know, that this, this presence for my kids always. Um, I feel like there was a time in my life when my kids were there and even though I was playing with them, even though we were at the park and my, you know, I was following my wife around, I don't know that I was ever there with them. I was on my phone or I was, you know, hundreds of miles away thinking about something else, where I was going to take my career or how I was going to do things better or make more money and all kinds of stuff in order to feel like I was enough, in order to validate myself. And I think when I started again to, to, to think bigger than me, to think and say this moment is so important for my son, for me to listen to him have him show me this toy that he wants to show me. This is extremely important for him. Um, that maybe for this moment I can just stop and, and be fully present here with him. So yeah, I guess I hope, you know, I guess if I was answering the question correctly, I hope that my kids take away that I will always be there for them when they need me. That that's never in question. That if they need me, I will be there. And I hope that I can, my actions speak to that. And I hope that that's something that I am showing them. That's a good goal to have. But you did mention one thing that, that every time I hear this line, I have to ask the question. Because so many of us grew up with the idea that we weren't enough. What is enough in your mind? What, what, what's a definition of enough? <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I may have asked her this question. Uh, you know, my wife had, had her own story growing up, right? She had a difficult childhood as well. And, and we've had a lot of these conversations. And I think that's a, that's a really powerful place to, to understand what is enough. Because I don't think we, most of us don't have that figured out. We just have this, this emptiness that's not enough. And you can't hit a non-goal. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Jason. I, you know, I think, so the way I explain it now, I guess, the way that I kind of understand it is logically, logically, I understand that I am enough. Logically right now, I understand I am a good father. I'm a supportive husband. You know, I'm, I try to help my community. So logically, you know, if I, if I was looking at myself, but as a friend, I would say that person's amazing. What an amazing friend. What an amazing person this man is that I, that I see you, all these amazing things that he's doing. But I think I use this term, you know, like, am I enough to explain the fact that I think I'm looking outwardly, again, to heal something inwardly, if that makes any sense. And as long as the bar is always out of reach, I will have some purpose to strive for. You know, and, and as I say this, it's clearly that I'm just a hamster in a wheel. You know, obviously, <laughs> that's, that's the first analogy that comes to mind. Like it, it never, you know, as soon as I do the thing I want to do, the bar is a little bit higher. And, and I think it's more about, you know, 
It's funny, I, I heard this saying and it really, it really stuck with me and I might butcher it here. It's an old Stoic saying. But it's, there's two ways to find happiness. You either go out and get the things that make you happy or you learn to be happy with the things that you have. And I think that really speaks to me because I often strive for this bar and it's always out of reach. And then I think in my most maybe enlightened moments, I understand that I have control of where I want to put that bar. So it's me that's always putting it out of reach. It's me that's always moving it out of reach within my own mind, within my own body, within myself. So I guess I want to get to a place where I deeply understand that there is no bar. That, you know, that it's just living. That I don't have to continue to raise the bar to have value. That I am perfect exactly the way that I am. Struggling, learning, growing. And that that bar that I keep setting for myself, and then when I attain it, I move it higher, and then I attain that, and I move it higher and higher and higher. That really, that is just all about deep self-acceptance. So I guess I want to be the person that starts to find happiness with what I have, instead of trying to go out and get what makes me happy. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson, but he talks about the... Um the uh, stories in life that are archetypal and you know meaning that they there's this story has been told by humans for for millennia in different ways and shapes and all across the world and that's what this is one of those stories that i, I mean i've seen it in, in the little bit of buddhism that i've that i've looked for right that you're you're always striving for something bigger but you have to be content in where you're at and not be attached to the outcome. If you go back to Christian theology, you'll find, um, um, well, don't butcher, don't yell at me too loud. If I got, I think it was apostle Paul, but I don't really know. I, I forget um, who it was who said it, but he, he said something along the lines of, you know, I've learned to be content, whether I have much or whether I have little, whether I have my freedom or I'm in jail. And these, these are stories that I think we've as a, as a race, humanity has has faced this challenge for millennia in learning to understand that our struggles really are aren't to achieve a specific thing it's to learn how to live within a, a struggle you know if the tightrope wasn't tight you couldn't walk on it you need some of that 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 tension in your life to be able to to have a, a meaningful life but it doesn't mean you can't be content in your struggle and I wish I could say that I've learned all that experientially and I've gotten there, right? <laughs> but the truth is, is that I don't think it has anything at all to do with getting there. It's just learning to accept your, you know, your imperfections and, and walk in that struggle. And so that, that's always been a challenge for, for myself as well. And I think all of us probably struggle with that one. No, I'm perfect. <laughs> and I'm not going to argue. Well said. You're not. I sleep way too deep to argue with her on that one. I wouldn't know what was happening. It's so funny. I uh, we, we teach our kids just that word, right? So, like, sometimes I'm like, it's perfect. But now they know nothing is perfect. And, you know, so they always say that. They always correct me. And I'm like, oh, that's so perfect. And they're like, no, nothing is perfect. So now we've heard them, but sometimes people use that word to explain something. And anyways, my kids are just constantly correcting me. They are the best teachers. Like I said, I, they're reminding me every day how wrong I am. <laughs> oh, and that they will. They will point it out every chance they get. Yeah, but our, our children have taught us so many, so many lessons in life. Um, you know, and Jason mentioned it before. You know, my, my upbringing was not the greatest. You know, and I think that's what has led us down the journey of taking care of children is because I didn't want any other kids to feel the way I felt. I didn't want them to feel, you know, I never wanted my children to feel unloved. I didn't want them to go to bed questioning, you know, does mom or dad really love us? You know, are they going to be there the next day? Am I going to wake up to an empty house or the next drug deal gone bad you know we never wanted that for our children and you know 
I struggle with a lot of things that you're you're talking about. And it sounds like that's what you're really doing is, you know, you're making a difference and you're creating for your children what you didn't have. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, man. That's, that's great for you to say. And listen, I, I really want to honor what you both are doing with, with this podcast, with this movement, and really in your lives. Because I, you know, it's funny. It's not something, I didn't talk about my foster journey a lot uh, when I was young. And I think you're allowing people to really have a voice. Um, I felt very isolated, you know, to, to say that I was a person who grew up in foster care. It's not something I talked about. I didn't want people to think about me a certain way. But I think that there is a lot of children, a lot of people that this is part of their story, you know, fostering, adoption, abuse, trauma. And I think, I think we need to start having these conversations. Um, I think we need to, to really create safe spaces to allow people to communicate their stories um, because that's where healing happens. Um, you know, I had the space from friends and family who allowed me to speak about my story and I needed that for my own healing. So I really just want to honor what you guys are doing because I think you're creating a lot of awareness around something that, you know, for me felt for years like it was something that I had to sweep under the rug and not talk about. Absolutely. You know, for a long time I felt very ashamed and that led to the stigma that, you know, it it's wrong, it, it's bad and, you know, I'm a bad person for experiencing that. And the thing is, is I'm not a bad person. You know, I have a lot of good to give and I think that's what we're trying to do is is find a way to give that good. Trying to take the shame and guilt away from being a victim in a lot of situations, you know, and this, and I appreciate the kind words you have to say about us. This is, this is something though, that, that for a man and I both sets kind of sets our soul on fire. It was something that we came to a little over a decade ago and said, this feels right. We need to do this. And, and whether it's God or the universe or, or, you know, the great Buddha, maker of people i don't know sorry i'm i'm not very deep into buddhist philosophy i think some of it's very interesting but <laughs> you know however you believe you know we are all created we are definitely all created with a certain specific wiring in our head and this is just something that that has always been been forefront in in the conversations we've had in our experiences together for, for man and i and it's just one of the things that sets our souls on fire and one of the questions i'd love to ask people is what is it that sets your soul on fire like if if you had if you had to change a world in, in a certain way, what just what lights you up and sets your soul on fire and makes you want to go burn down whatever bridges or barriers there are to a certain thing out there in this world? Wow, that's great. <laughs> that's a great question. Is um, I think right now, you know, what's really speaking to me um, is is helping men uh, not feel shame around their masculinity. Um, that's something that really speaks to me. I think there's a lot of confusion right now, you know, even about that word masculinity, what it means. I think we all have, have been raised with different ideas, have experienced and seen different aspects of masculinity. Um, so I think a lot of the work that I've been doing lately has been to really try to educate, teach, make men aware, learn even, um, about healthy masculinity and the importance of it. Um, you know, <laughs> I would say that, that in this day and age, there is not a lot, you know, we don't see a lot of good men uh, being portrayed in the media, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I go down this rabbit hole, but I think there is a lot of good men on this planet. Um, and I think that those men have a voice and I hope that we can, those men can help people who feel like it's wrong to be a man. I was raised, you know, where, where a lot of these masculine traits that I didn't know how to express, they were bad, right? Having strength, being loud and strong. And it was all, I was always told to be quiet. So I feel like, there's, I want to teach people how to harness their masculinity in a healthy way, not in an abusive way, you know? So I think that's been a big part of my journey lately. 
Um, I think there's a need for that because I think that men and women, uh, people in general, are just very confused about what it means to be a man. Um, so I hope that I can learn more about that and, and shed a bit of light on that for other men and really help men find their voice in their own families to really help lead their families, you know, side by side with their spouses, alone as single fathers, whatever you need to do. Because I think that we all have it in us as men to really help to heal this world and be a bigger part of the society. You know, so I feel like that is what's been speaking to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you're dead on there. I mean, can you name the last sitcom or TV show you've seen where there was a uh, active responsible dad who had a brain in his head, who wasn't like the butt of all the comedic jokes on the TV show, but it's like those dads disappeared off of TV. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it just, you know, as I'm saying this, it's funny because I think, I think this can get a lot of flack, you know, but I'm coming from a place where, where because I wasn't able to be a healthy sign of strength in my own home, my wife had to step up. And there's nothing my wife likes more than when I am a leader alongside her, when I am the masculine to her healthy feminine. So I do think that oftentimes just saying these words, like I said, there's so much confusion around what it means. But I'm not saying that men need to be stronger. I, I think that we can all be together in harmony and we can really harness our strengths. Because that's what, that's what my wife and I have really done in our marriage. There is lots of space to have the masculine and the feminine together. But I do think that for years, women had to step up because men didn't know how to really stand in their place. So it was natural for women, again, like I said, it happened in my own marriage. My wife didn't have a choice except to take a lot of the responsibilities on. I was a, I was a drunk father, <laughs> you know, who, who was scared. I, I was still a young boy, a little boy that was, couldn't deal with it. So I think finding my own masculinity and lending strength to, to my, you know, my wife's calm, loving kind of leadership really allowed us to raise our kids together as a team. So yeah, I guess, you know, again, even, even as I'm saying this, I just, I can understand that this can often raise people's eyebrows, uh, you know, because I do think that people do see men as a threat. We have abused power. I, I won't disagree there. I mean, all you have to do is turn on Facebook or, or one of the news channels and you can quickly see a place where there's a story about a, a man abusing power. And your toxic masculinity was something that, that has been in the media quite a bit of late. And, and my question is usually, rather than talking about how horrible toxic masculinity is, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But can we also talk about the benefit of positive masculinity? Learning to be a servant leader. One of those archetypal stories that I heard Jordan Peterson talk about, that men have the ability to either be the tyrant or the good king. And someday it will be just Amanda and I here unless she keeps collecting kids, then I may die with an infant in the house. I don't know. <laughs> it's a possibility. But I mean, the end goal is we're all going to be empty nesters. And I've seen so many men get to that place and they're living with a woman they don't know and they don't particularly care for. And they end up divorced after that and miserable. You know, and I think the Buddhist saying that I'd heard, I, you made mention of it earlier, is that, you know, life is suffering. But the twist I heard put on it is it's true. Life is suffering. It's a lot of suffering punctuated by brief moments of, of happiness. So you damn well better find some meaning in the middle of all that suffering. And I think that that's what I've found for, for meaning in the middle of mine is, is what I can do to, to provide that legacy going forward. And it sounds like you figured that out. Did you, did you pick that up for any, any particular foster homes or any any parents that you, you foster parents you've met over the years what's that, is that something that you've you've kind of developed on your own over the years yeah i would say it kind of came over time i think i think in my journey i have been obsessively trying to replace the father in my life you know so I, i've you know wherever i worked i look for mentors um, you know, in, in all my groups that I go to, I try to find father figures. Um, you know, my therapist is a man, you know, I, 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 I need to have a male therapist because I'm constantly looking for that, 
older, you know, male figure bond, that father bond, if you will. And I think over time, it was kind of like, I was just kind of learning from all of them um, and kind of retaining what I could uh, from each of them. So yeah, I feel like, I feel like that is kind of where my mindset was and still is um, that I think that we all have things to offer. And if we can try to take what is best, what we think is best in everyone and try to see if it fits in our lives, I think it's important to kind of think about it that way because sometimes somebody's using a tool in an amazing way and we just don't have a need for that tool right now. You know, but it's, it, that's kind of what I say all the time. It sounds silly, but like, make sure that when you're out there and you're gaining this knowledge, sometimes it's very important to know whether or not that can serve you now, because you might be, you know, following in this person's footsteps or the person who's suggesting something, following their footsteps and realize quite far down that road, that this was kind of the wrong road to take. So I think, I think over time and over those failures, overtaking a lot of, long, of wrong roads in my life, I think I finally started to really see what my, my personal values are and really understanding like, okay, you know, for me, this is, these are the types of roads that I typically go down that serve me, that there's a lot of growth there, that I can service others, etc. Um, and, you know, I think you talked about mindset, that idea of growth mindset instead of fixed mindset. I think you really have to fail forward in this life. You know, coming back to all these sayings, right? Life is suffering, etc. I think it takes courage to do something that you're not sure of the outcome. That takes a lot of courage, you know, to, I, I say it all the time, but you know, it's even in my own marriage, sometimes my wife is not in a very happy mood and it takes me a lot of courage to say, is everything okay? Like, is there something you want to talk about? <laughs> because I don't know what could happen. You mentioned something that I wanted to go back to real quick. You mentioned, you know, having a male therapist and I think just the therapist idea in general, you know, Amanda and I lost a child a few years ago. I lost my dad. Amanda's had her own bucket of trauma throughout her life. You know, we, we all come to life with this trauma. And if you were born with some disease, you would go see a doctor. Even if you didn't have a disease, you're going to get a cold. You're going to get something. You're going to, you're going to need some antibiotics eventually. And this idea that modern culture has had for so long with the stigma against seeing a therapist, I, I'm sorry, but that was, that's one of the things that has made our marriage come leaps and bounds and really helped us come to terms with a lot of the hard places in life that we've been. So, you know, I, I just, I always feel like that's something that needs to be said out loud to people that that's a beneficial thing. It's nothing different than going to see a doctor because you don't get to control your life. You only get to control your side of it and you're going to make mistakes and having somebody who can, who can help you unpack that to some extent so that you can, you can walk out of that in a healthy place, even if you made an unhealthy decision in the past. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Jason, I don't think I could have said it better. And you know, I think for a long time in societies, they had these things called elders, right? That was a thing. Right? There was elders. You could go see the elder in your small community and ask them, what was it like before? What do I do here? What am I supposed to deal with? How am I supposed to deal with this? And, you know, sadly, <laughs> we tend to put all our elders in a home, right? And it's we, we don't want them seen and heard and we don't want them away from us because we have this vibrancy of life and excitement. But I do think that we're missing a lot by not having somebody in our life. Maybe people have elders, but for me, that is something that my therapist serves. And even within our own marriage, Kate and I, you know, my wife and I, we, we see a counselor consistently. We have for years. And even when things are going very, very good, we still go because it's very important just to talk it out, you know, just to, just to see how things are going and create, have this safe space. Um, so yeah, for me, it's been life-changing. Um, it, it was very, very important to me. And I will say, I, you know, I had that stigma in the beginning. It was, it was very, very hard for me to go. And I think once I did, and I started to see the benefits of it, now I suggest it to everybody, go talk to somebody. Um, because there's a lot of power in having a safe space where you can just 
talk about things. So as somebody who went through, you know, went through his own bucket of traumas as a kid who, who has grown up to the point where you realize that you're not quite a grown up yet and you're still working on getting there and you probably never will be right. Unless someday you get to become one of those elders. Um, you know, what, what have you learned that you can pass on to the rest of the world? What's, what's the wisdom that, that Eric is, has pulled out of his life and the traumas that you've experienced and the wisdom that you had to gain along the way? Wow. That's great. Um, you know what? I, I'll boil it down to this. Um, my life changed when I learned how to ask for help. Um, I, I, I constantly am reaching out to people and, and really trying to create space for them to ask for help. But I would say that that is the thing that really was changed my life. So I highly encourage people, if you take anything away from this conversation, don't be afraid to ask for help. There's people out there who are willing to help and you are, you know, worth, I, I am worth myself being helped by somebody and asking for that help. So I feel like that was something that I struggled with for years and still do. I still struggle with it sometimes. You know what I mean? So I would say that is probably is the piece of wisdom that I constantly remind myself of that I cannot do this alone. Right? Takes a village to raise a child, right? That saying was there. It's been, that, that's real, you know? And I even, my, yeah, my wife and I say that in our own marriages, right? I cannot take care of all her needs. She needs a community for herself. I need a community. I need people to help me. So I think there's a lot of shame sometimes. You know, I felt a lot of shame around asking people for help. Am I going to burden them? Uh, I don't want to be trouble. You know, I just want to sit here and, and not be anybody's problem. But I guess when I train, when I try to turn it around, when I have the opportunity to help somebody, that is a, that is a gift for me. Helping somebody is a gift. So I think now I realize that when I ask for help, that I am also giving somebody a gift because there is no greater feeling to know that you benefited someone's life, that you helped somebody on their journey. So I think if that's made it easier for me to ask for help, um, you know, make sure, make sure it's safe. There's a lot of safe people out there that you can ask for help. Um, so yeah, I would say that that was my single biggest takeaway in my life. And that is something that we actively teach our kids. You know, if they need something to speak it up, my kids very regularly say they need love. That is something that we teach them. If you need love, you say it, I need love and everything stops and we give them love, you know, because we have an abundant amount of it and I never want them to feel like they're not worthy of receiving love. Um, so yeah, that's, it's very important for me to send that message to people. Ask for help, reach out to somebody, reach out to a friend. Maybe if you're, Hey, if you feel like you're in a great spot in your life, reach out to a friend and offer help, you know, and they might say, no, maybe they're not ready to ask for help yet. But every once in a while I have friends that they never had asked anything from me and I reach out weekly and all of a sudden they'll ask for something. You know, so I feel like that is something that really spoke to me and still does in my life. And I am still challenged with, like I said, I'm still learning. <laughs> oh yeah. I feel you, man. That That's great advice because that's something that I, I, the way I was raised was very similar. You don't ever ask people for help. You know, that's admitting weakness and, and you don't want to be the weak one and blah, blah. And all that silly machismo stuff that came out of, out of my generation's, you know, parents out of that era and, and before, and the truth is, is that we are a community, whether you want to be part of it or not, you actually are. And it's, you know, are you going to help the people around you? You're going to build that community up and let them help you. Or are you going to try and be that lone wolf that, that never survives on his own? Absolutely. All right, Eric. Well, it's been great talking to you today. I mean, I, I've known you for, for how long have I known you now? I uh, I'm trying to, to almost two I, years, I'd say. Yeah, how long have you been in the um, in the dads group? Just about that since since I guess February two thousand nineteen. Okay, yeah, so about two years now, and um, 
So yeah, I, I didn't know until recently that, that that was even a part of your story with the foster care and such an interesting story. It is understanding that the Canadian system is definitely different than the unit, the U S system. We, yeah. we, we have our own bucket of strangeness here. <laughs> as we, as but, we. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, but yeah, no, I really appreciate you being willing to come on here. Not only share your story, but not, not just the story of, of where you came from and the struggles, but the story of how you've walked through that. And then, you know, out the other side to where you're, you're building something now. Thanks. You're building family, you're building a community, you're building a life that really matters and, and helping people along the way, not just sitting in your own quiet place, ashamed of where you came from. That's, that's such a, a beneficial thing that most men never get to that point. No, it's a story of hope. Yeah, thanks. And I, I definitely see it that way too. And hey, listen, th this was a real gift to be able to to share this. So I appreciate you guys as well, you know, reaching out to me and, and having this conversation with me uh, because I think you also raised a lot of, of new opportunities for me to learn here, right? Even inside about myself that kind of came out during this conversation that you guys helped me with. Um, so this was a real gift for me. So I appreciate the both of you for allowing me to come on here. Oh, thank you very much. Eric's story exemplifies building beauty from our own brokenness. If you'd like to hear more stories like this, we put out an episode every week. So hit the subscribe or follow button so that you can be notified whenever new episodes are available. Look us up on Facebook. The links will all be in the show notes. And we'll see you next week. If you have a story that you'd like to share with us, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com.